Good afternoon. Welcome, everyone. We are back. It's Glenn. I'm one of the PGY 3s uh, in PMNR. Hey, everybody. I'm Michael. I'm one of the PGY 1s. Yeah, how's your week going, Michael? Oh, not too bad. I'm actually doing PMNR consults right now, which is a lot of fun. It's nice to be able to see the other end of uh, consult, or I'm sorry, of PMNR, because um, I'll be on the inpatient side of things on PGY 2 year. So it's nice to get that feel already. Yeah, that's pretty big. I know, you know, programs want to be able to have their residents, you know, understand, like you said, both sides of PMNR. You know, typically you're just like on the inpatient side where it's just going to be taking care of patients from the main hospital. Um, but it's also important to know the indications um, and why people should be coming to us versus going to other places like SNFs, so long-term um, acute care facilities as well. So, yeah, no, I definitely hope you're picking up lots of good tidbits here and there. It's definitely an art more than like a science. Yeah, it really is. I feel like I hear so many times... Yeah, actually, I think that the discharge plan is good. However, we kind of do things this way. I was like, ah, oh, man, so much to learn. Yeah, how are things going with you, Glenn? Uh, things are going well. It's weird a little bit. You know, everyone's adapted to, you know, COVID life. Uh, lots of, like, virtual lectures uh, nowadays. So just, you know, getting used to Zoom. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's see. We are here because we're uh, doing our third episode of our Sports Medicine Resident Review, the fun, quick test review podcast. Um, we keep it pretty lighthearted here. You know, pop us in on your way to work, uh, if you're going to the gym, or, I mean, if you're running outside because the gyms are closed right now. Yeah, don't go to the gym. <laughs> right, but this week's topic is going to be the shoulder. All right, so we'll start off here. All right. First question. So we got a 19-year-old female volleyball player who's presenting to you after feeling a painful pop in her right shoulder during practice. She says that she was blocked at the net by a defender while attempting to spike the ball and immediately felt pain and a feeling that her shoulder was out of place. She attempted to continue practicing but was hesitant to try any other overhand movements. She notes that she has always had flexible shoulder joints but has never dislocated her shoulder before. On exam, she winces with abduction, that's abduction, and maximal external rotation of her shoulder. MRI of the shoulder shows a tear of the anterior inferior glenoid labrum. What is the diagnosis? Is it a slap lesion, hill sachs deformity, Bankart lesion, or impingement syndrome? So for this question, you know, she talks about, or the patient kind of describes how, you know, she felt like her shoulder was out of place. Um, so one of the things I'm thinking about is she had a possible quick subluxation and it could have returned back into place. Um, anytime you get a subluxation or dislocation of the shoulder, you definitely have to, you know, think about uh, some of the deformities that can result from that that are going to be um, over the humeral head. Um, so then, you know, it makes you think of, is this going to be a hill sachs deformity or Bankart lesion? Um, so I'm going to go with the Bankart lesion, given that the MRI showed us the, the location of it on the anterior inferior uh, glenoid labrum. So we're going, going with C. All right, that is correct. Yeah, and it was that interior, uh, anterior inferior glenoid labrum tear that was the key identifier for the pathology. Um, so that portion of the labrum, uh, when it's abnormal, 
facilitates anterior subluxation and dislocation of the humeral head, as you were saying. Uh, and this can result from repeated non-traumatic anterior displacement of the humeral head or from a traumatic first-time dislocation. Um, and usually non-operative management is recommended in traumatic first-time dislocations. Um, so the other answer choice is a slap lesion. So slap standing for superior labrum anterior to posterior, which is not what we saw on the MRI. Um, classically, this is occurring in overhand throwers in the loading phase, which causes a torsional stress on the labrum, or in the deacceleration phase. Um, so Hill-Sachs deformity, um, that's a bony deformity of the posterior lateral humeral head as a result of its abutment against the anterior glenoid fossa. And this happens much more commonly, uh, it coexists with Bankart lesion. You get the subluxation, which causes that part of the humeral head to hit the anterior glenoid fossa. Uh, and it's a result of that repeated anterior displacement. And then we have impingement syndrome. So this is classically referring to a repetitive microtrauma of the supraspinatus against the inferior aspect of the acromion when the arm is in maximal abduction and internal rotation. So classically, you would have a positive Hawking's and near sign with that. All right, looks like we're off to a pretty good start then. Yeah, good job, Glenn. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and give you the next question. We have a 35-year-old male who is a participant in CrossFit and training for competition who presents with gradual lateral shoulder pain over the past month. This pain is associated with a loss of range of motion during flexion and abduction of the shoulder. The patient denies any neck pain or radiating symptoms. Ultrasound imaging reveals distension of the subacromial bursa. Which physical exam maneuvers would be expected to suggest the correct diagnosis? So we have four answer choices. We have scarf's test, AKA the cross arm test, Hawking's and Neer's test, Jurgensen's test, and last, O'Brien's test. All right, so I'm gonna go with Hawking's and Neer's test. Um, and I guess I was a little bit uh, lucky with the previous question, kind of talked about Hawking's test a little bit. Um, so. Based off of the question stem, um, find ultrasound findings of a subacromial bursa um, distension. Um, and normally, Hawking's and Nears test, those are used to find that subacromial pathology based off of the anatomy of the arm in those motions. Um, so I'm going to go with Hawking's and Nears. Yep, correct. So just a little bit more information about them. You already kind of summarized them pretty good. Um, Hawking's test, we'll describe them really, really briefly. Hawking's consists of having the patient have their arm in shoulder flexion at 90 degrees with elbow flexion also at 90 degrees, then having the examiner internally rotate the arm while looking for pain, uh, noticing the patient's wincing or not. And then nears consist of stabilizing the scapula and then passively flexing the arm while it's internally rotated with the thumb down. Uh, pain with flexion beyond 90 degrees is a positive uh, for nears. The other answer choices that we have here, so scarf's test, AKA the cross arm test, uh, named for because it looks like, I always thought someone putting on a scarf, but apparently it can be from like throwing, the motion of throwing a scarf over your body. Um, this primarily looks for AC joint injury because it places stress over that joint. And the way you perform it is you have the patient bring their ipsilateral hand to their contralateral shoulder. The elbow should be a, approximately 90 degrees of flexion in it, and then the examiner should push the ipsilateral elbow to the shoulder in the horizontal plane 
you're looking for discomfort or pain um, as a positive test um, for this one. And then let's see the other two we have here, uh, Jurgensen's test. This one's testing for uh, biceps pathology or tendinopathy at the long head. And so here you have being the patient with their elbow flexed and the patient is performing resisted supination. Positive would be pain, um, it was an anterior proximal humerus. And then last, O'Brien's test. Uh, so this is kind of looking back at the slap or any, or any labral tears. Um, this is performed in two parts. First, you have the patient internally rotate their arm and then bring it into forward flexion at the shoulder with a little bit of adduction to about 15 degrees. So the patient's thumb should be pointing down. You're gonna apply a downward force on the arm as the first part of the exam. And then the next portion of the exam is gonna be where you keep the patient's arm generally in the same location, but you wanna externally rotate the arm with the thumbs pointing up and then apply the same downward force. A positive test here would be um, the patient signaling that the pain on the first maneuver uh, was worse and that it was alleviated when uh, doing external rotation. Um, and that kind of helps because it um, helps to offload that area of the shoulder um, and signal whether that's the issue or not. So yeah, two out of two so far. Let's go. All right, next question. So we have a 22-year-old male swimmer who presents with progressive right shoulder pain. So over the last year, he's attempted to increase his training intensity. He notes progressive stinging shoulder pain and generalized weakness with progressive worsening of his lap times. On exam, he has full passive range of motion and noted atrophy of his right infraspinatus compared with his left and weakness on external rotation. Shoulder abduction is five out of five bilaterally. What's the most likely localization of this patient's pathology? Is it medial cord of the brachial plexus, axillary nerve within the quadrangular space, long thoracic nerve at the scapulothoracic articulation, or suprascapular nerve at spinoglenoid notch? So this question, I really like this question. Um, I'm currently on the on my EMG rotation, um, so it's pretty awesome to see this. I was actually doing some questions from this website called EMG Whiz. Um, you can just Google that, and it's just like this super. It's simple yet like very comprehensive for like EM studying EMG. Um, it goes over the nerve conduction studies and the EMG portion of it, and so it's actually funny that you know we saw this. We came up with this question. And I had actually just done this about like a few days ago. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just like localizing where things are affected. So uh, what's notable here to me as I'm reading through it, um, I really like it that you can see that the patient has some atrophy um, of his right infraspinatus compared to his left, and then also weakness on external, rain, uh, external rotation. Uh, you notice that the shoulder abduction is five out of five bilateral. So I assume that um, the deltoid in some capacity is going to be, you know, relatively intact. Um, and so when we talk about external rotation, it looks like there's, you know, no mention um, of any other special test in here. So it leads me to think about the infraspinatus uh, muscle. And so infraspinatus muscle being uh, having an insult to it, while you know no insult. Uh, noted to be for the supraspinatus. To me, that kind of localizes to the suprascapular nerve. And in particular, it makes you think about the anatomy as well. And so the anatomy of the way that the nerve courses through um, is going to be, there's a spinoglenoid notch, like you mentioned. 
And so if the injuries to the spinoglenoid notch, that's going to be the very distal portion of the nerve, just where it inserts into the infraspinatus. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to go with D since that kind of localizes over, over the areas that were described in the question. Oh, Glenn, you went through all of that just to be correct. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> you did a great job localizing the, the injury. This is really fun as the kind of the sports medicine version of localizing the injury on neurology. Um, so like you said, um, the pathology is at the most distal aspect of that suprascapular nerve right after it passes through uh, passes past the spinoglenoid notch. So classically, this is associated with a spinoglenoid notch cyst or ligamental thickening, which can cause mass effect on that suprascapular nerve. So notably, spinoglenoid notch cysts can be caused by uh, posterior um, labral tears, such as uh, slap lesions, and the suprascapular nerve innervates both the supraspinatus muscle proximally and the infraspinatus after it passes through the notch. Um, so should this have been more proximal, we would have seen atrophy of the supraspinatus as well. Um, and kind of going briefly over the, the other answer choices, so medial cord of the brachial plexus, um, vague enough to make you think you might want to choose it. Um, so this cord gives off the medial brachial and the medial antebrachial cutaneous nerves as well as the ulnar nerves and contributions to the median nerves. So none of those fit the picture of this patient. Um, the axillary nerve within the quadrangular space, um, so this refers to quadrangular space syndrome, resulting in neuropathy of the axillary nerve, plus or minus involvement of the posterior circumflex humeral arteries, resulting um, from usually muscle atrophy, trauma, or fibrous bands. And then the other answer choice was the long thoracic nerve at the scapulothoracic articulation. So this would classically cause a winged scapula due to effect on the serratus anterior preventing scapular protraction. Great job. That was a difficult one. Yeah, thank you for putting that. Let's see. Next question we have. All right. So we have a 15-year-old baseball pitcher who presents the clinic with progressive shoulder pain over the past few months. He plays in a league year-round and endorses uh, slowing of his pitch due to shoulder weakness. The pain is present throughout the throwing motion at the anterior lateral shoulder. Physical exam demonstrates tenderness over the proximal lateral humeral region without erythema or warmth. Full active range of motion is present, yet significant pain is present with resisted external rotation. Jurgensen's sign was negative on exam. What's the most likely diagnosis? So we have three answer choices here. First answer choice, biceps tendinopathy. Second answer choice is humeral head fracture. And third is little league shoulder. All right. You just like making life difficult on me, don't you, Glenn? Um, <laughs> of course. So, so I am going to say little league shoulder. Um, so the reason why I'm thinking that, one, it's a 15-year-old Play, uh, baseball player so he's not fully grown yet so perhaps something going on with growth, growth plates um, it had no mention of any kind of like acute traumatic injury so I, I'm less likely to think that it's a fracture um, and then based off of him being a pitcher um, I'm less apt to think that there's biceps tendinopathy in there um, just seems a little less likely than a little league shoulder so I'm going to go with little league shoulder Yep. Hey, correct. Um, and yeah, you explained it very well. 
um, little league shoulder, like you mentioned, um, overuse injury. And so this is going to be due to recurrent excessive torque placed on the growth plate. Um, noticeable, this uh, patient's a 15-year-old, so yeah, still going through uh, growing. This results in remodeling and deformation of the proximal humeral physis. X-ray is, is going to be one of the main diagnostic tools for you. It's going to show a widening of the humeral growth plate, especially on the lateral side. Treatment is typically going to be conservative with rest, NSAIDs of Tylenol, and physical therapy. But don't forget, uh, for this patient's return to activity, they're going to probably need training for proper form um, of their pitch. The other intro choices that you ruled out, um, first one's being uh, biceps tendinopathy. Uh, that's also overuse injury, and that's going to be of the long head of the biceps. Um, you know, some of the tricky points in this question were the location, where it's kind of vague to be the anterior, lateral, proximal um, area of the humerus. Uh, but this typically presents as anterior shoulder pain over the bicipital groove that can be aggravated by overhead activities or by lifting. Uh, Jurgensen's test uh, was described earlier uh, with the resisted supination, and so that was negative, so that's how we wrote that one out. And then humeral head fracture, typically seen in older patients with, osteo with, sorry, with osteoporotic bones uh, with traumatic events such as falls, but even can occur in younger populations from high-energy trauma such as a car accident. Uh, physical exam here would be definitely different. Patient would have significant pain, swelling, difficulty, uh, initiating active motion, but most notable, this would be from an active or an acute injury, um, such as one that we just mentioned. So, yeah, perfect. Nice. All right, last question. Um, this one's near and dear to my heart. So, we've got a 30-year-old male presents to your office with one-month history of sharp left shoulder pain. He first noticed the pain after falling onto his left shoulder while he was playing flag football. The pain worsens while weightlifting, particularly with pushing exercises. The pain wakes him up whenever he sleeps on the affected side. Initially, he worked through the pain, but now it seems like it's getting worse and it's causing him to stop lifting weights. He denies any frank weakness or radiation of the pain. He, on exam, he has full passive and active range of motion with 5 out of 5 strength throughout. When his arm is flexed and adducted against resistance, he winces and notes pain over the anterior shoulder lateral to his clavicle. What's the most likely diagnosis? Is it a chromoclavicular joint sprain, biceps tendinopathy, pectoralis strain, or subacromial tendinitis? So this seems to um, kind of localize over a particular area, um, especially when it goes to you know the exam and he's uh, noting uh, pain just lateral to the clavicle. Also, the fact that there's a recent fall into the shoulder is pretty significant too. Um, and so that's one of the things I love about sports medicine is being able to localize and use your anatomy um, and knowing the mechanism of action. So I'm going to go with the AC joint sprain here. Um, as it seems to, you know, localize right over the perfect area for them. That is correct. Yes. AC joint sprain. So the initial injury for an AC joint sprain is usually from falling onto the shoulders or onto an outstretched arm. Um, and if it's more serious than that, you can get AC joint separation. And it's very difficult to verbally go over this classification, but you can use the Rockwood classification, which has six gradations. It basically all has to do with how serious the 
AC joint ligament is damaged plus the damage to the ligaments around that area as well. And so you guys can look that up and see pictures of that because it's a lot easier than me just trying to verbally walk through it. Um, so the other answer choices, B, biceps tendinopathy. So this is less likely given the mechanism of his injury and the positive cross-body test. Uh, as, you, as we went through earlier, uh, you would usually find this with a Jurgensen's test. Um, and more likely if um, also a positive speeds test could show this as well, um, or a pulling mechanism of an injury. So classically, this can occur with overload in the eccentric phase of elbow flexion. Um, choice C is uh, pectoralis strain. So this is reasonable given that he was having pain with pushing exercises, but the localization on the exam uh, points away from this. So the positive cross body test, which is localizing to that AC joint, uh, makes the pectoralis strain a little less likely. And then finally, subacromial tendinitis, um, hearkening back to the previous question that we had. So classically, this is associated with repetitive microtrauma and overuse of the shoulder. Mechanism of uh, acute injury tends to occur with loaded abduction and internal rotation, which decreases that space between the humeral head and the inferior surface of the acromion. So this is rarely seen in patients younger than 40 and doesn't really fit with the pattern of injury in this patient. Great job, Glenn. Nice. And I think that wraps it up, actually. All right. Like we said, like we promised, a quick episode, you know, just pop it in and go from there. And, you know, did we, did we got five out of five, right? We got it again. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we're, uh, yeah, we may be going <laughs> easy on ourselves. Fair. Yeah. Good point. I mean, I think we're having to rename this to, like, just, like, five out of five podcast. Yeah, Glenn and Michael are awesome. That's the new podcast name. <laughs> right. And just like us, I'm sure you guys got five out of five. Um, and knew everything. So, let's see. We'll wrap up here. We'll uh, post in the notes uh, below uh, sources uh, for the questions, and we'll see you guys pretty soon. Yeah, stay safe out there, guys.